0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Um, today's episode, our guest is Gautam Mayor. Uh, Gautam was born and brought up in Bangalore. He completed his education in chemical engineering and later moved to the US. He spent five years in the IT industry working on solutions for companies such as Nabisco Foods, Saks Fifth Avenue, Goldman Sachs, and Kraft Foods. In 2004, he returned to India to pursue an MBA, which he did at the Indian School of Business. And after completing his MBA, Gautam worked for two years with Wipro as part of their innovation council. He then spent five years with Larsen and Tubro, working in corporate strategy in Mumbai and Bangalore. In 2012, Gautam started his first venture, Elevenity. I don't know if I've pronounced that properly, Elevenity which unfortunately failed. He, he spent two years attempting to gain traction with the company, but ultimately it was not successful. He then spent an additional year working with a small business while searching for new business opportunities. And in 2015, he met his current co-founders. And in 2016, they founded Falconbrick, a construction management app. This company currently has 35 employees and a presence in 10 cities. And they're working with top builders in each geography, but there is still much room for growth, which I'm sure they will get. So welcome to the podcast, Gotham Maya. Thanks, Joe. So Gotham, this um, podcast began as a kind of um, inspiration, really, both to existing entrepreneurs as well as those aspiring to get into entrepreneurship. And in nearly all of the cases, we've kind of um, gone through a brief bio of the initial parts of the professional career. But we kind of covered that in this in in the bio uh, part of it, of the introduction. So what I thought might be more useful is if we focus on some of the skills that you took from um, your early professional experiences that led to your your business interests. So how would you say um, you were prepared when you finally, uh, when you finally did go uh, with
1: your first venture? Uh, Joe, I don't think I was prepared, right? So, so looking at all the mistakes that I made. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that I would never have been prepared to start my business, right? So you just have to get into it and then try out something, right? And then, and then kind of figure your way through it. <laughs> Right. So, but I did have some good inspiration, right? So, uh, you know, my inspiration is my dad, right? And he started his business when he was 41, right? So, my younger brother was just born. So, he had three children, right? And he was working in a bank and he just quit everything and said that he's going to he's going to, to start, you know, uh, uh, his own business. Luckily for him, it was in the services industry. So, right from day one, he could make money. Right. So he was, he was consulting with banks. He was consulting with uh, the with, with financial institutions that were able to make money. But that gave me the impetus of saying that, you know what, if I wait for the right time, right. Wait for all the stars to align it's never going to happen. I just had to get in there, try something out. And, uh, you know, I might make mistakes, but I was extremely confident. Right. So the way I started about this was see, uh, see one fine day, I just, Woke up and uh, I was working with with Larsen and Tuker at the time. And I said that this is enough, right? I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, I've been trying to wait for a time, trying to collect enough money, saying that, you know, once I, you know, uh, accumulate X amount of money, I will start something on my own. But that that goal never seemed to materialize because the goalpost keeps moving. So I just decided, let me just try it out right so the the worst that can happen is i might lose a year or two of my career and then maybe i can i can get back into it well, so, so did you uh,
0: did you give yourself a time window effectively uh of a period of a couple of years with, within which you would experiment with this uh, idea and after yeah, so
1: it, I, if it didn't work you might consider going back into employment yes so i did give myself one year and I thought I was being pretty smart, right? So I gave my wife one year's worth of expenses to, to run the house, right? And that here's a, you know, here's a, a, a bunch of money. This is going to run the household for the next one year. And with whatever remaining money I have, let me get in and, and try something. And I had, I had high hopes, right? So I thought that I'll start making money from the third or the fourth month itself. Right. But we've you know, all, right? We've all believe that at one point or another. Yeah, absolutely. And, and see, see, I did my market research, right? So what they talk to you about in these schools, right? Saying that do your market research, uh, you know, uh, uh, talk to people, try to validate your idea before you do anything. So I did all of those. So my first venture was creating, uh, mobile applications. And, uh, the first idea in that was an application for schools, right? So at this point of time, so this is in 2012, right? And. Even today, there is no seamless communication between a school and a parent. Now, there is a dearth of good schools in the country, which means that all schools act to be high-handed. They do not want to disclose information to the parent. They don't want to make it a democracy because they are afraid that the parents will come and sit on their head. So, I saw a gap over there, right, with my own children, saying that I'm not getting information from the school at the right period of time. Right. All I get to know is what my, my child writes in this book and brings back to. Me. Yep. So deadlines are missed. Homeworks are done, not done. I don't know about it. Right. So there's a bunch of these things that keep happening. So, so I went to, went to parents, right? Because parents are the ones who are going to, who are going to benefit from this. So I must have spoken to about what, 50, 60 parents saying that, Hey, you know, I have an idea where I can make the communication from the school to you seamless. Right, where you get to know what are the events, so there's going to be a calendar. There's going to be events. The teachers can can message you, right? In, in you know in case they need any information, in case they have to inform you about homeworks, about assignments, everything. And parents love this idea. And I said, I'll be charging you for it. Would you mind paying? You know, uh, you know, paying money for it? I Said sure. Right. So I was thinking at those days, saying that you know I'll charge you hundred rupees per month. They said I will willingly pay hundred rupees. Out. Right. So, that gave me the the confidence that something like this could work, right? But I had missed the the second part of this entire equation, right? I went to schools and said that here is a particular platform for you. All the, the parents will have uh, mobile applications. You can directly communicate with them. You can put up tests. You can put up grades. You can put up attendance. You can put up events, right? And this communication is going to be one way. I'm not going to allow parents to talk back to you because that will open up, you know, open up floodgates which you don't want. Yeah. And schools also seemed to like that idea. And I said, don't worry about it. Right? This is going to cost you 100 rupees per parent per month. You collect that money from the parents and you give it to them. Right? So there's nothing going out of your pocket. Right? And then when the, when the... When the when the school started doing the calculations, right, in terms of, okay, I'm going to get 1,200 rupees per parent per per year, per kid, and that's that money started to add up, right? So, the, the problem over here was the person I was selling this to was the school management. The person who's going to be using it is the teacher, and the end beneficiary is the parent, right? So, I spoke to parents. But I did not take into account the teachers whether they'd be willing to use a platform and mainly schools. So I did get a few schools on board. So I, I think I got about ten schools on board, and they were using this to to communicate with this with the with the, with the parents and was running was running smoothly. So you um, actually developed a, a product. This yes. got beyond the ideation stage. You yes.
0: developed a product, and you were in fact piloting it with with or actually running it for revenue purposes with
1: a few schools. Absolutely. Okay. Right. So I got this developed from, uh, from a, a third party agency, right? So I contracted a particular agency and they were really good about it. Right. So I contracted a particular agency. They developed this for me. And then we came up with, with iterations, with modifications, all those things. And for those, for those 10 schools, it was running seamless, you know, seamless, right. It was working for them, but I just could not go beyond that. So if I, you know, when I went to a school, which had 10 branches, right. Or a, or 20 branches, and i pitched the idea they were like why don't i develop this on my own right why should i give you the money for 10 schools which would amount to a few lakhs when i can get something like this developed third they did not want to really open up to the parents even 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 today right my school the school that my 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 kids go to one of the, one of the top schools in bangalore they have a, a, a mobile application right but hardly any information comes over. I still have to depend on my kids to tell me what's happening in school, right? What are those... Your, events? your kids go to the same
0: events? school as mine, right? I
1: think invention. No, they go to uh, it's okay. an, a national academy for learning. Okay. Right? So that was the problem, right? So I pushed a lot, right? I tried. I said, I'm going to I'm going to white label this for you. Right? So, but nothing worked. So at the end of it, after about, about I think, two years, so i would given myself... One year, and then I thought, you know, again the I don't know. Uh, now that I know a few business terms, the sunk cost fallacy. The sunk cost fallacy. I've already put in so much money. I put in already put in so much time. Let me try a little bit more. So I kept pushing, but at the end of it, I was you know I could not make any headway. And whichever schools were there, I returned all the money to them, saying that you know this is something that's not going to you know really work, right? So that was a that was a big letdown because I had plans but that also got me thinking right on on two things one is that I have become kind of averse to consumer focused apps right and right, I saying that this is something where you know uh now on 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 hindsight, right I can think of a lot of things right so at that point of time it was I had to do but now on hindsight, I can think of a lot of things where things actually went wrong so what I did after that is that and you know when this failed I somehow got this feeling that I should not go back into a mainstream job. I became comfortable with working at my own time. And I thought, you know, there are opportunities out there, right? So I just need to have the wherewithal to hunt for those things. And my family was extremely supportive right? And uh, so what I did was I started a small business. It's it's, it's, it's nothing. It's just a distributorship for, uh, you know, for uh, for uh, the, the pharma industry, right? So the pharmaceuticals required bottles, these plastic bottles. So I got into the distributorship of those. Uh, and it was, it was decent money, right? So I was making ends meet, and that gave me enough time to start thinking about what else I can do. And that's when I started talking to people. And that's when I got in touch uh, with Another alum from the, 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 the Indian School of Business. Uh, he is from the batch of 2006, right? Shashi uh, Kiran. And we got talking. So he was working with Accenture at that point of time, Accenture Management Consulting. And his focus of work was infrastructure construction. Right? And I had a history of working for Larson and 2 Pro, which is infrastructure construction. And we met through common friends. And we got to to talking and saying what are the opportunities out there. So we're looking at at, at various things we are trying to brainstorm, right? So we, we discussed, debated for about three, four months, saying, can we do something with uh, with digital forms? Right? Even today in India, multiple forms are used for everything. You go open a bank account, you've got forms, you get a gas connection, forms, you get uh, you know, um, uh, and internet connection forms. Some of them are becoming digitized right now, but at that point of time, there are a lot of forms being used for everything. So we looked at those, we looked at anything for doing for small businesses. And it was like, you know, by chance that we hit upon the idea of construction, right? Because we both had experience in, in construction. And, uh, you know, we thought that here's something that we can you know work, work we can work with, right? So construction, the second largest contributor to GDP the second largest employer of workforce, but still running in extremely uh, archaic methods. Right, everything is paper based, phone calls, and we thought that here's something that we can do. So we spoke to a few builders, right, and all these builders who we spoke through spoke to were through the Indian School of Business contacts. We just looked up the uh, the uh, alumni database, found. People who are working at builders give them a call, ask them to put us through their operations head or their head of projects, and got talking to them. Right, saying that you know what are your your pain points, right? What are the problems that you are facing on the ground? How does construction actually happen? So we followed engineers on the ground, seeing what they actually do, and then we came up with this idea, saying that you know here's something that could work, right? So we made a quick presentation on that, saying that you know what. If you look at construction, there are multiple phases of construction, right? Right from when you do the ground picking, there is the excavation all the way to handover. And we thought that, you know, handover is one part where the culmination of your three or four years of, of work, right? It culminates in a small window of three to four months where the entire inventory has to be handed over to the end customer. It's extremely chaotic because generally, right, projects are delayed. And the customer is always sitting on your head saying that I want my apartment, right? Because I paid for it. I'm paying EMIs for it. I need to move in. So this particular phase is extremely chaotic, extremely stressful for the builders. And we came up with the idea saying that we can put a workflow in place, right? A very simple workflow in place to help smoothen out this entire process, right? And that's how we started. So we we went to a one question. Yeah,
0: Quick question for you. Oh. Did you, your previous consulting assignments give you knowledge of the business processes in that industry? So is that why you felt that it was uh,
1: kind of ripe for a bit of disruption, technology disruption? Uh, I would say, I would say yes, especially when I worked with ASIPC over the years, right? So I have had multiple jobs, right? So about six jobs, seven before I I started my business, right? So from, there've been good takeaways from, from each and every one of those jobs, right? But I think the biggest one was from the Indian School of Business, right? So my MBA over there gave me some structure to the thoughts that I was having. So even before that, I was always in middle management. So reach a certain level understanding, you know, implementing decisions made by management without really understanding the business problem that this particular decision was, you know, was, was going to solve. So the MBA helped me with that and my time with wipro and and lnt was extremely eye-opening for me right because both of these are large companies work in completely different ways right so wipro tech lnt construction right uh, kind of like like the the bureaucratic way of working where there's there are hierarchies there are levels but i would say that the one of the biggest takeaways i've had was from when i started a small business of being a distributor right it taught me humility. I was talking to customers who were placing orders for, let's say, 50,000 rupees, one lakh, right? And when you go meet them, it is not a transaction, right? It's a relationship building with them. Yeah. Each time you meet them, you sit with them, you call each other, sir, right? I have never called anybody, sir, in my entire life, right? Working in the US, working for Wipro, it was all on a first name basis. Working in LAT, there is a huge culture of calling sir, but I never called sir. I used to call them Mr. So-and-so, right? I was averse to calling people I say that I would only call somebody sir if I if I respect them for something, right? And here I am in a small business, right? Talking to, uh, you know, an Ayurvedic company who is selling his, you know, his homegrown medicines using using my bottles. And I'm sitting with him drinking, drinking tea or coffee and calling him sir for everything, right? That was where I learned a lot of things, right? Learned patience. Things don't happen the way you want it to happen, right? So I used to think that I'll just make a phone call every, you know, you know, every month, pick up the phone. Uh, I think it's time for you to reorder. So how many boxes can I book for you? It doesn't work that way. I had to talk to them, uh, you know, talk about, you know, talk about the weather, talk about how things are, and then slowly, you know, yeah, absolutely, right? So that's the way. So cold calling doesn't work in this industry. Right, just expecting transactions, saying that I'm going to pick up the phone. Right, they're going to, and I'm going to tell them, and they'll place an order. I'm going to get this done. Right, doesn't work. Getting the material to them, I have given them. I have committed dates. I'm not able to, you know, meet those dates because the supplier has not sent the shipment on time. Right, the transport company is not willing to pick up the material late in the night, and I've already committed, saying that this shipment is going to be delivered to you tomorrow, and then you try to understand. Right. And that's when I, I, you know, that's a very interesting, because that's where I I realized one thing which I use currently also, right, is customers are patient. If you're able to talk to them and tell them, sorry, I messed up, but I'm going to rectify this for you. It may take two more days, but I'm going to ensure this, because they are reasonable. They will listen to you. If after the deadline has passed, if they are supposed to deliver some material today and I give them a call tomorrow and say, I'm sorry I didn't deliver the material yesterday. That's a problem. As long as you keep them informed, right? They are very reasonable. And that's what I do in this company also. Right? So that's what I've told my people. Right? So if you if you are committing a particular date to a customer, that date is sacrosanct. Right? You don't, if you're going to miss date, miss that date, tell the customer two days before, three days before. Don't tell him on the day. When this implementation is going to happen or one day later and that has helped us a lot because i have seen this working in this industry as well where people say we understand no issues here's an alternative date three days from now let's implement on that particular date and it works perfectly.
0: yeah I, I think that point is is such a, a brilliant one and it's one that um uh some one of my other guests also mentioned uh about the aspects of customer services in the sense that the answer you're giving a customer may not always be the one they want to hear. But no news is definitely not good news. It's okay. better to give them an answer, whatever is the actual reality, because they've got the chance then to deal with that and make uh, you know, whatever changes they need to make. But not telling them is a major issue until it's too late and then there can be you know significant repercussions so you may not always be uh, giving the answer that everyone would want to hear but so long as you are keeping them in the picture and then there's a lot of industries where this is
1: uh, is relevant as well so i think that's a, a, a fantastic point yeah so some of those are the things that i'm trying to inculcate in my team right so uh, this is one of them second is again I, this i learned in in Larson Pro, right? Attention to detail. There have been times when we are making presentations for the then chairman, A.M. naik And A.M. naik used to be extremely fussy about the details on, on whatever presentation check can make. In. And me and my then boss used to work till about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the night. And I'm like, you know, I'm done. Right? I think we have got 95% of the things in. It's time to call it a day. And my boss used to tell me, let's spend that little extra time and ensure everything is right because you go to a presentation, you make one mistake and that's the one mistake that everybody is going to hold on to. They won't look at the 99 things that you said, right? They look at that one thing that you said wrong. And this is what I'm trying to tell the people, right? So attention to detail. If it takes you an extra one hour, one day, take that time. Do not make obvious mistakes, right? Because if you do such a great job and you mess up in one place, that one thing is what everybody is going to hold on to. Right. So again, this is this was drilled into me at last night, and we spent spend hours preparing presentation just to ensure that we're not missed out anything. Just to ensure that what we have spoken in slide number four matches what we're telling in slide number eight, and that's something that we use even even today as well. Right. So when we're making you know uh, making financial uh, you know plans, we're making. Uh, decks for uh, for for our our investors. We take that extra time to ensure that there is a cohesive story being told, and there is no gaps. that is you uh, know there is there. Right. Yeah. And of course, uh, and and of course, the third thing, right. And uh, this is something that that I personally believe in, which I'm trying to inculcate my team is that uh, very simple. I do not want to hear about problems from the customer. I want you to tell me what those problems are before the the customer tells me. Mistakes happen. I myself have made, you know, have made mistakes where I've wiped out uh, you know a customer's entire data of about I think one and a half, two days of entire data has been, you know, has been uh, been deleted by mistake. Right. And I have taken the time and effort to bring that back. But mistakes happen. I do not want, I wanted you to come and tell me that there's a mistake, there's a problem over here before the customer actually tells me. So I'm prepared. It's it's nothing else. It's just so that I'm prepared and when the customer tells me, I'm not like, you know. Blinking, and say, "What is this all about?" I know what it is, so I can give it, uh, you know a, 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 a proper response. Yeah. So that that background,
0: I mean, your your professional background. Obviously, you you had worked in large organizations. Then you you did your own thing, and then and then you did the second thing, the distributorship. Was that distributorship basically you, or did you have a team around you? Uh, it is you? just me. Basically you, one man, one man show. So that can be quite, um, you know, a, a, a lonely experience. And I guess that prepared you for the early days of, you know, uh, building Falconbrick where, you know, um, there's just a few of you basically doing everything. And I remember the early days, of course, because that's when we met up to, uh, to discuss the video production and all all that kind of stuff. So psych, psychologically, how did you feel about being, you know, a big guy in a big company with all the barb that that gets you, you know, societally and then doing your own thing? And people think, what the hell are you doing? I mean, there's like three of you in a little little office, you know, that kind of thing. How, how does that affect you psychologically?
1: So, see, it's very interesting, right? So, when you are a big guy, in a, you know, in a big firm, right, you have, uh, you know, an MBA from the top B school and, you know, you tend to become a little cocky. right a little arrogant right and that shows in a lot of things that you do right so i used to always think that you know you can get away with sheer intelligence right if you're intelligent if you're smart you can get away with a lot of things and then when we started up i realized that just being smart is not enough you have to put in that hard work right the diligence that hard work right smartness will only take you to a certain certain extent is the hard work that is required right and you know. In a in a in a startup, you are the be all and end all, right? You you don't have people to to clean up after you. You don't you know if you have to travel somewhere, you know you, you don't have you know, there's nobody to pick up the phone and say that I'm traveling, so please book this ticket for me. Have a car waiting for me, to, to pick me up and take me for these meetings. And you have to be extremely prudent. We are looking you know when when we started up, we didn't take any salary for about three years.
0: What so right? you bootstrapping then? It was just the um,
1: yes. founders funds that were were running this. Absolutely. Right? So for two years we were for, for two years we were completely bootstrapped. Right. We were and we used to we used to count every single rupee that we spent. Yeah. Right. And I think I think that has held us in good stead right now because even now we are extremely careful. Right? So see we only we have only raised funds when we actually needed it. So we have just had two rounds of fundraising. One in 2017 when our when we did the, you know, when we had an initial product, uh, the MVP, we tested it with two builders, Brigade and Sriram Properties, and it worked fine and we wanted to scale up. So we went to investors and we raised money. And we were lucky because a lot of our, you know, a lot of people who we pitched to as a customer, they turned around and said that, I like your idea. Are you looking for for money? We're ready to, 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 uh, to invest in you. So four of our customers actually invested in us. And that gave us a, you know, us a lot of confidence, saying that we are in the we are in the right district. right? A kind um, of reverse pitch, <laughs> absolutely, right? That's incredible. So uh, that's what this. Is. The second the round of uh, fundraising we did was when COVID hit, right? So when COVID hit, we knew that there's going to be six months of no revenue, and we have expenses, so we didn't lay off anybody. We didn't, uh, you know, we reduced our salaries at that point of time, but we didn't reduce the salary for for anybody. Right for three months, till we knew that you know there is going to be a problem. Right, so that time we quickly reached out to our existing investors, saying that there is COVID, we need some money to help uh, you know uh, tide us through this, and we raised a bridge round at that point of time. So this is the only two rounds of uh, of funding that we have that we have ever done. Right, so what we believed is that we have to run a sustainable business. So even our first customer brigade, we charge them money for it. Right? We say that, here is something we can do for you. We don't have the product ready. We'll build this for you. But unfortunately, we cannot give it to you for free. Because if we give it to you for free, you will not value it. Yeah. We are putting our skin in the game. You put your skin in the game. And let's do it. So, so far in the history, you know, in the history of our company, we have never given anything out for free. We have always charged, and we charged a good amount of money. right? So that people appreciate that here's something that is going to help change the way they actually operate. Right, so now this can be a good thing, can be a bad thing now the one the the good thing and a bad thing is that, like I said, we're extremely careful with money. We only spend money where it is actually necessary. We don't do you know just you know blowing money just for the sake of 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 spending the money, right? So when we raised money, we didn't go out you know all out saying we are going to hire people, right We said, we're only going to hire people who are absolutely necessary. Now, this can be a problem as well, because, see, as long as you're a startup who's, you know, who's not making any money, then your valuation is in the air, right? It can be anything. But once you start making money, right, your valuation is based on a revenue multiple. So but sometimes you, we... You we,
0: were not pre-revenue for very long then. You, you were revenue generating quite early. Yes,
1: we were revenue generating from, from day one. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it is not a lot of revenue, but we had revenue, within it. and we actually made profits in the first. I think the second and third year we actually made profits. Got it. Right. But again, so 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 now sometimes we 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 think back, right, saying that should we have played the other game of giving our system out for free, and then you know raising money year after year, and then and then spending the money, burning the money, and raising. It? But we feel that what we've done is right because even now, our focus on every financial aspect of a company is really good, right? So, so, um, like I said, we didn't lay off anybody uh, during COVID. Uh, We reduced salaries for a few highly paid employees, but we compensated them with stock options. Right? And... Whatever money we spend, we are, you know, we we try to ensure that we get the maximum bang for the buck in this industry, right? So we we are dealing with builders, and builders are notorious for delaying payments, right? Some there are companies, there are contractors where the uh, you know it takes uh, the house are what ninety days, one twenty days, one fifty days, and they do run from pillar to post to actually get the money. But we have a very very strict focus on collections every one of our team members who's involved in either sales or customer success is responsible for collections as well. And our receivables are less than 45 days. And it's only because of that of the rigor that we have saying that you know, and it's again, it also helps us figure out how we're doing with the customer. If there is a builder who's consistently delaying payments, it means he's not really getting value from what we're doing for him. If there's a builder who's Paying promptly, that means he is finding value with us, you know, with, with what we are actually offering. So, that also helps us to get some early warning signs in terms of, is there a risk of a churn with this particular customer? So, that's what we focus on. So, we have like, you know, two meetings every week, just focus on collections. And we ensure that, you know, payments are coming in within 45 days and our cash flow, you know, is positive. So
0: the thing is, with um, an industry like the one you've mentioned, construction, where you you focus uh, and where a disruptive technology solution is placed, is there a change management piece that also needs to happen within the organization implementing the solution? Because there is naturally some inertia around the existing business processes and maybe the personnel using
1: those tools. Uh, absolutely. Right. So... So we see this all the time, right? So there are see, if you look at if you look at the the builder commit, right? The, the construction companies, they've been used to working in a particular way for the past what four or five decades, yeah. the manual way, pen and paper. People have become very, uh, let's say, used to working in this particular way. And when we bring in a bring in technology, the first thing that people think on the ground, people think is management has brought in this technology to spy on what I'm doing, right? There are good There are good engineers, there are bad engineers. Good engineers will always embrace technology saying that it's going to help me to become more efficient. And the bad engineers think that this is going to put a burden on me because now anything I do is going to become extremely transparent. And management will know who I am, right? Not only with the engineers, with the employees of the builder, but also with contractors. Now, the contractors in this industry are notorious, right? Forget about... A system in place, they will just not respond to what happens at the site on a you know on a, a timely basis. And that's why builders have all these kinds of you know various contracts which happens which with contractors all the time, right? But the way we look at it is if you're bringing in technology, it should make somebody's life easy. If it complicates somebody's life, then we are not doing a good job. If by implementing a solution, implementing a technology, people are spending more, more amount of time. Then it's not good. It's not usable. It's not, you know, it's not giving the benefits. So if you are able to save time, if you're able to save effort, then people will automatically use it. So adoption improves if we design the system properly for them. And this again becomes difficult because if we are in a in a greenfield operation, right? So which means there is no precedent to what we're doing. If you talk about CRM, if you talk of an ERP, there are hundreds of CRMs, hundreds of ERPs. And when you go to a customer, when you go to a builder, he says, my ERP does A, B, C. Can you do A, B, C, D? Or can you do A, B, C at a lesser cost than what I'm paying right now? And he'll sign up. But when you're going in with something which helps construction management, the builder does not really know what the system can do for him. Which means either the expectations are unreasonable or the expectations are not articulated properly. Saying, right, this is what I want from the system. So there's a lot of discovery which actually happens. So we have learned this over time, right? So initially we were like, let's implement a system, right? One size fits all and then go ahead. And then we find a lot of churn happening. So now we are, we have changed our process to do a diagnosis outside. This is what the management is saying, right? I want to be able to help improve my quality. But what does help improve quality actually mean? It's not actionable. If you say, I want to ensure that any work that happens at site has a check against it, right? And only when the check passes is that work deemed to be complete. That's something we can do. We can put a process in place. We can put a workflow in place and ensure that those checks happen. But if a customer comes to us and says, I want to improve quality. Now, a tool cannot improve quality. A tool can just provide you data. And somebody from your side has to look at the data, come up with some intelligence, and then improve it. So now we're trying to get into that level of, of understanding the customer, see that what are your expectations, or what are your outcomes that you want from this. And let this outcome be clear. So that outcome becomes a blueprint in terms of what we are doing for this particular customer. So in case there are any conflicts, right? We have had builders who have come to us and said that, you know, we have been using the system for six months, but it There's no fun. I'm like, what do you mean by Right. You, if you're not able to articulate what you wanted from the system, then anything that we give you is not going to satisfy you. Just for so, our international viewers, what, what, what does that term mean? So, so, I'm not finding anything, you know, I, this is not ticking the right boxes, or uh, I'm not getting a kick out of the system. Not hitting right? the spot. Not hitting the spot. But the spot has not been defined. Got it. Right? so that's why we do a lot of discussion with our customers now saying that you know this is what a system is capable of right this is what it should do for you and it should help your people reduce effort right so, so let's you don't design... regard it as
0: an off-the-shelf system in that sense i mean the builders typically that you're talking to when when going to do an implementation of the falkenbrook system are pretty you know substantial uh, builders and there's a degree of sort of customization required so there's that consulting phase at the beginning part to establish what the sort of as-is scenario is and determine
1: um, the business processes that will need to be modeled and how they will match that's right see but again see uh, these are are see this kind of a system is new in the market right so the builder does not really know what he can derive out of this so a lot of times like you said we, we wear an you know an, an advisor or a consultant had trying to explain to him, these are something that are possible, not possible, but we also don't want to become like an ERP, right? So an ERP, what is, what is six months of, of diagnosis, six months of design, one year of implementation, one more year. So an ERP implementation takes anywhere between one and a half to two and a half years. Yeah. We implement within two to three weeks, right? So, our system, our platform, so basically what we have is we have a platform, right? A completely flexible platform, which, you know, which our team, our consultants, talks to the builder and tries to model what they're doing onto the platform. So, it's extremely flexible. And we also keep it flexible for the future because this is an industry where everything is not set in stone, right? So, unfortunately, construction is still I'll an art, in it's in not in a in science, <laughs> you know, it, right? So, construction is still an art, it's not science. Right, so there are so many issues that can happen at site, which are you know, which can happen to a pro- things that can happen to a project, which are not even related to what was happening at the site. There could be government clearances, you know, there could be the uh, you know lack of proper uh, mobilization, uh, there could be weather conditions, right, uh, or it could be like in Delhi where they just come up with a ban on construction because the air quality index has you know has gone you know, already. so all those kind of things. So we had to come up with a system which is flexible, and we have built that system which is flexible. Right? So, flexibility also comes with its own problems, which means you can design the system the way you want it to. And if you are careful about designing a system to match what is happening currently on the ground, and that's something we look at, right? We look at what are the existing processes that the builder has. And we try to model our system with that. So, what we tell the customers is, you don't have to change the way you're working to adapt to the system. Our system adapts to the way you're working. So, pretty much every implementation we have is sort of a slightly customized implementation for that particular builder, right? So, he may have a lean team on the ground. So, a builder, uh, the way they generally work is either they have their in house construction team or they they hire a PMC, a project management consultant, uh, like a JLN, a Cushman Bakefield, a CBRE to come and manage the project for them. And then they have various contractors small contractors, large contractors. So, based on how a particular builder is organized, his particular project is organized, we give them, you know, we give them choices in these are the things that you can actually do to help improve, right? So some of, most of the builders that I work with are, see, we work with only large builders, right? So we work with large builders because large builders have processes set in place. They've been in the industry for 20, 30 years. They know exactly how a process has to be implemented and they have this in place. And when there is a process, a system can can come in and add that extra degree of productivity of, of efficiency. If a builder does not have any process, it becomes very difficult to put a system in place. Because if you don't have a defined process, what are you working towards? Right? So all of this goes into, into creating the solution for, for a particular builder. But now what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a, a shift. Right? So over the last two, three years the second generation of builders have come in, right? So the sons and daughters of the builders who have who have studied abroad, who have seen systems, and they're more technology-friendly. And they are coming in and saying, I want to change the way it's working because I don't want to be in a position where my efficiencies are really low. I want to know exactly what's happening. I want to have a really strong quality process in place so that when I deliver this particular inventory, the project, to my end customer, they are extremely... Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, satisfied. So we're seeing a shift happening in the industry. People are becoming more aware of of technology. People want to implement technology for the sake of improving, you know, the efficiency on the ground. Incredible.
0: So obviously, you got good traction with this, and you um, solicited. Well, they solicited you uh, for for um, funding um, and and growth. How did you go about um, the scaling operation? Um, What were the main areas where you needed um,
1: additional resources? Okay. So in terms of scaling, there are two main things, right? So one is the the product, right? So the number of transactions increasing on a day-to-day basis, our product has to be extremely robust. So a lot of scaling went into the product. We have experimented with multiple technologies. And see, this is an industry where uh, internet connectivity is not a given, right? This These are construction sites. So in construction sites, you're working underground, you're working on the 15-story where you don't have proper internet systems. So working, coming up with a method to work in an offline mode and being able to handle the volume of transactions that's happening on the ground. So a lot of effort, time, money, uh, and people have, have gone to that. The second would be on the actual on-ground operations because we realized early on That even though we are a SaaS product, we are not low touch. So SaaS products have, you know, there's low touch, which means like a WhatsApp, right? So you never have to reach out to the WhatsApp customer support for anything that you have. And there are there are high touch, uh, you know, the uh, high-touch products. So we are not a low-touch product, which means a lot of time and effort has to go in trying to convert the people into our way of thinking, right? So to drive adoption on the ground. So we had to get people on the ground. We have to get feet on the street. So all of our customer success people spend fifty percent of their time in the office and fifty percent of time on the field, Mm -hmm. talking to people on the ground, talking to an engineer: Is everything running fine for you? What's happening? Are you able to do the work you're supposed to do? Are you finding any roadblocks? Right? Talking to the management, talking to the the project manager, driving that right. And a lot of effort goes in initially because once you get a customer who is stable, then automatically that customer is in our fold, right? So for example, there have been customers who have experimented with us for one project and we charge on a per project basis, right? Per project per month. So the more projects they give us, it's good for us, right? More money for us. And the amount of time it's gone into stabilizing one one particular project and after that they're given the next 10 projects without any sales effort. Yeah. The only effort was in negotiation uh, of the actual deal value, right? And they automatically, automatically adopt it. So, being on the ground, being able to understand the the user on the ground is extremely important. Even our product team, right, goes to construction sites to to see how their product is being used. Talk to people on the ground, right? What are the pain points? How are they using it? Because what may seem obvious to us may not be very obvious to the person on the ground. If there's a contractor engineer, right, or a contractor foreman who's maybe just a 10th grade, uh, you know um, he has 10-week schooling what we feel is intuitive may not be really intuitive for him yeah right so only when you go on the field you'll be able to understand you know okay this is a you know we thought that we made a nice looking button and it's obvious it's a button but that guy may say I don't think this is a button because it doesn't look like a button too it's fancy but hey I don't know how to go click it to be able to go there right so being on the ground talking to people being on you know Keeping in touch, I think that's really, really important uh, important in this industry. And do you have your own uh, development team? Yes, we do. So, so initially, we again uh, with this business uh, when we started up, we contracted out to a third party agency. We hired them to develop for the this uh, for us, and pretty soon we realized it's really not going the way that we wanted. So we scrambled, and yeah, we do have our own uh, we are our own team now. So everything is is being done in-house. Great.
0: And in terms of the strategy that you took for um, marketing the product, uh, what kind of resources did you need for that? How has that
1: been done? So for a very long time, right? So my co-founder, uh, Shashi Kiran, he was the only sales guy uh, in the organization, right? And uh, even now, uh, you know, uh, we are lucky to say that a lot of our our customers come through word of mouth. Because this construction industry is very, it's a very small industry. Yeah. Right? Even though there are a lot of projects, the same people keep going between projects. A person who's an engineer here becomes a project manager over there. And he, you know, if he's had a good experience with our product, he refers this to his management. So yeah. that in my previous, you know, in a, in a previous project, I used this particular system. So a lot of uh, things happen through uh, reference, but we're not sales heavy at all. Right, we do a lot of events. So there are there are there is one main industry body called CREDI, CREDAI C R E D A I for the real estate developers. Uh, so we do a lot of uh, of of uh, events with them, and that helps us get the, the visibility. Uh, in terms of digital marketing, there's very little we can do over here, right? Because builders are not on Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah, right. You'll not you'll not find them there. So any ad spend that you have on Google and people are not looking for you know project management solutions you know um uh, on the web so a lot of relation based uh you know referral based selling is is what works over here so events give us leads and then we go through those right and we we, we talk to them we meet with them and said uh the the best so far has been reference hands down right yeah. so so in 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 Hyderabad, right? So Hyderabad is one of our largest markets right now, and pretty much I would say about eighty percent of our customers over there have come from referrals. That's one. The second is uh, Lighthouse customers, right? So you go into a go into a market and you have the biggest builder there as your customer, and then everybody else follows, saying that you know what? If Prestige is using our system, then there's something really good with it, so I won't do it. In Hyderabad, there's a builder called called, uh, called uh, Aparna, they are very well known for uh, their their quality products, right? So they were our first customer in uh, Hyderabad. But because of them, we have got pretty much every customer saying, oh, you're working with Aparna, then you must be really good. So we want to uh, work with you as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that trust
0: and credibility comes from uh, such a situation. So yeah, on, on the sales side of things, then um, you don't have to deploy too much in the way of resource uh, because quite a lot of it and also the conversion is coming from referrals
1: right see referrals only see if you're a startup right you have to show non-linear growth yeah. right so so now we're getting into a lot of uh, you know marketing and we are trying to because reference will only take you to a level right yeah reference will give you linear growth so we're looking for non-linear growth we're also experimenting with, with marketing with events to see which is which particular uh, mode will give us the you know the the most number of uh, of uh, customers
0: and in terms of, of that whole growth piece is that currently um, is the focus still India or do you see these as uh, common construction
1: issues that could be scaled beyond India's borders as well so definitely what is happening what we're doing here can be scaled across the world, right? So the way the way Indian builders work versus, let's say, the more developed countries. So if you look at uh, look at the Middle East, if you look at uh, Europe and, and, and America, they spend six to nine months planning the entire project, and once they start, they execute like clockwork. In India, the planning function is not very strong, so with basic thumb rules, they start the project, saying that, "Let's see what." You know what actually happens, and they, you know, they evolve as you know, know, as time goes by. But similar kind of problems are there throughout the world. So, see, currently, if you take a look in India, right, at any given point of time, there are fifty thousand construction projects going on. Fifty thousand construction projects, and I'm not talking about somebody building an individual house, like an independent house for himself. I'm talking about. Projects which has got apartments or row houses or, you know, a a commercial building, which is large in nature, right? So, to reach those 50,000 projects is going to take us a lot of time, right? We have worked on 250 projects so far in the history of our Now, 250 versus 50,000, there's a huge gap over there. So, we do believe that, and and these 50,000 projects are mainly in the real estate segment, which means residential, commercial. And retail hospitality. If you look at industrial and infrastructure, right, the scale in India is massive, right. So India itself can sustain us for the next four, five, six years easily, quite easily. So we do not want to dilute the focus from India now, because if you're looking at any other geography, we have to have a different thought process. We need to have a completely different team in place, yeah, right, a different strategy in place, a different product in place, and I and we are not ready for that right, we want to stick to one product as of now, stick to one market, maybe three, four years down the road, once we hit a certain run rate or a certain scale of operations in India, then maybe we will look, uh, look at any other markets. It is there in our, in our horizon, our investors keep asking us, but we are like, let's hold off, there's enough yeah. to do in India, let's, you know, go outside later on.
0: Yeah, I mean, if the, if the scope is strong. In your home territory, where you know all of the
1: the situation,
0: uh, then yeah, it makes better sense to consolidate rather Absolutely. than spread yourself too thin. I guess. No, that's um, that's great. So, just in, in terms of um, some advice for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs from your own uh, kind of uh, career history, what what would be the basic advice that you give to people who are who maybe find themselves in the position you were in? Um, a while back where they're, they're working in a large organization but somewhere in the back of their mind they've got this idea that they want to do something themselves. What would be your advice in terms of how they should sort of uh, go about making
1: that into a reality? So my first advice would be if you're thinking of starting a you know, on your own just do it. Right? Don't wait for the right time because I know people who have got ideas who have been sitting on them for years together. Saying right, that one more year, let me make some more money, it'll give me a cushion, and then I will, you know, I'll start. See, in this day and age, right? Uh, see, before, right? Let's say 10, 15 years back, if you had a gap in your career, saying that he was out of work for a year, two years, it used to be a bad thing on your resume. Now it's actually a good thing, right? At the, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you lose one year or two years, right? Of of career in, uh, in in an organized industry, right? So, if you're thinking, if you any, anywhere have an itch saying that, I have an idea, I want to, I you know, I would want to be on my own, just go and do it, right? You can always come back to your normal career at any point of time. There is no problem at all, right? Second thing, what I believe, this is my personal belief, get a co-founder. Don't do it on your own, Right? There are too many things for you to look at, right? You will not be be good in in everything that you do, right? It's always good to have somebody else whom you can lean on for advice to debate things through, right? So get yourself a co-founder. Don't do it alone, right? You might might succeed alone, but when doing it with a co-founder, at least you have companionship. There's somebody else who is sharing your burdens, right? Third thing... uh, I think you just have to put in the effort, right? Once you start up, it's it is not going to be easy. It's not going to be rosy. You have to put in the time. There will be ups and downs. So prepare your family. If you have a family, prepare your family well in advance, saying that here's something that I'm taking. I might not be available in the evenings, nights, weekends because I have to work on this. Prepare it because if you don't prepare, if you don't have a, a supporting family, then everything can go down. There, right? You have enough issues. With your started, you don't want more issues, you know, in your your uh, your personal life, right? So you know you can go on on and on about the kind of you know uh, the things, but I think these three things would be would be top of mind for me. Yeah, and I I think it's uh, that's uh,
0: really amazing advice, and and you know gels with my own experience. Obviously, there's we went to business school, and there was a certain amount of stuff that you can learn uh, from books, but there's some stuff that just you can't do until you've actually done something and seen what 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 comes Absolutely. back. And, um, and I think yeah, uh, that means that there is a level of uncertainty that you'll always face, but that's that's part of business, isn't it? So brilliant advice. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Gotham. I mean, it's uh, it's a, a great success story, and of course, you had some little. Obstacles along the way, but there were learnings at every stage. And I think that's important as well. There's yeah, what they say is uh, we don't win and we lose, we win and we learn. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, there's a fair amount of learning along the way. And now it looks like you're winning. So, best of luck and best wishes for um, Falcon Brick. Thank you so much, Gotham. And uh, best wishes for the
1: future. Thanks for coming. Thanks. To the yeah, and great to uh, you know uh, be on, on your podcast. Hope this uh, this actually helps people, right? Yeah, that's And true. what and what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you.